This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Umphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where I had the pleasure of chatting with creator of the Orange Umflove logo, Grady Doyle. We commemorated the 10-year anniversary when Grady was on, and we chatted about the first show he handed out stickers at, which was September 4th, 2010 at Minglewood Hall in Memphis, Tennessee. Grady shares how the whole idea started, a very cool story about the Umph Love sticker on Jake's guitar. He also gives us a scoop on some pretty rad things to come with the logo on it and a bunch more. It was so cool to hear the history of this amazing little logo that has just come to mean so much to all of us. Definitely check that out if you haven't. There are links in the show notes where you can give that a listen or a watch. Thank you again so much to Grady for taking the time. It was so much fun chatting with you and listening to how you started this really awesome thing. This week on the show, I am very excited to bring everyone my conversation with Umphreys McGee percussionist, Andy Farag. Andy and I talk about the Atlanta drive-in shows, a little of his perspective with dealing with the weather night two, being influenced by Santana and the Beastie Boys, his dad's band Stormy Weather, a doo-wop group that formed in 1969, what he'd be doing if he wasn't a touring musician, his first order of business when his curls take office as the winner of the Conduit E-Magazine presidential campaign. In case you missed the official announcement, he was the winner by one vote. One vote, guys. It was so, so close between Farag's curls and Stasek's stash. Conduit E-Magazine will be doing a feature on the winner of the presidential campaign, so make sure you check that out when this month's issue hits emails at the end of the month. And if you haven't signed up to subscribe to Conduit E-Magazine, there is a link in the show notes where you can make sure that you start getting that in your emails every month. Andy also shares some more about the new music Umphreys McGee has been working on. Bayless and Stasek recently talked about new music as well when they were on the show. If you missed those episodes, there are links for where you can watch and listen in the show notes. Andy and I talk about a whole bunch, and it was seriously so awesome to have the opportunity to chat with him and learn about his history with music and learn some more about him. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. (music) 
Do you have a small business that makes shirts, pins, jewelry, stickers, prints, or sells other interesting products or art that you think peeps would love to get their hands on? Is your band looking to get some attention from fellow music-loving umfreaks? Maybe you provide an awesome service that could make folks' lives better or easier and want some like-minded clientele. Or perhaps you're looking to hire some cool people to work with. Let Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit E-Magazine help you get the word out. With ad space in monthly issues of Conduit, commercial spots on the podcast, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, guest spots on the show, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd and Conduit can help you reach tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow umph family. Email dropped at gmail.com or conduitemagazine at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more about the amazing packages we offer.
So here is my conversation with Umphreys McGee percussionist Andy Farag. Enjoy. So I want to uh, ask you, first of all, since it's fresh in your mind, how was Atlanta? Atlanta was great. It was uh, adventurous. Uh, yeah. It was something that, like, had we dealt with normal circumstance, um, you know, I think our moods would have been different, but, like, we all knew that, like, this was, like, the last shows of the year, and we haven't played many shows in the last seven months. So it was, like, this, like, who cares that it's raining and our gear's getting wet? As long as, you know, as long as everything's working. Um, So... It was just like this vibe of, you know, we're going to make this work no matter what, basically. For sure. Did you have any technical difficulties personally? I know the other guys definitely had some issues, but what were you dealing with personally with the rain? Uh, no, nothing too bad. Nothing compared to, you know, anything electrical those guys were dealing with. Plus they were up closer. Um, right. You know, uh, no. Nah. Nothing, it really only kind of knocked off all the dust that was on my rig. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like in a, a spot where you're kind of like shielded from it. Yeah, so. yeah, I was, I, was, I was shielded pretty well. Uh, I felt bad for those guys up front, though, because you could hear their, at one point, you could hear their their pedals and stuff, like the water getting in the circuitry and it, like just grinding and burning and stuff. And, uh, you know, luckily we, we, we got through it. You know, like, again, a situation like that, we probably would have just canceled the show, right? Like, mm-hmm. coming in sideways, uh, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, we just knew that we just had to make that work, you know. And I'm glad that we forged through and everything happened great. For sure. How? What was going through your mind when they had to call the two-hour delay? There was the tornado warning. Like, what What were you thinking? Uh, I mean, it wasn't looking good. Like, you know, the, the that forecast that day was just... You know, you know, with those hurricanes, you never know. It could be, could you get a clear spot for a couple hours or you could just get like this constant rain for hours, mm-hmm. you know, you just don't know. And when they did the tornado warning and the tornado watch, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really think the show was going to happen. We had all those delays, like we were on stage ready to go and then the rain came back and they had a retarp. Yeah, it was crazy, but yeah, we got it. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a spectacular night. I'm so glad that you guys were just like, we're going to play. We're going to do this because yeah, yeah. it was incredible. So what are your feelings of, of doing a drive-in show now that you've done Chicago and Atlanta? What is your opinion of doing a show like that? Um, the drive-ins are very unique. Um, there's a lot of things that, you know, you don't realize the advantages of until you actually do it like i mean from the fans perspective of just being able to you know bring in your own stuff you're at your car the the show basically comes to you Mm -hmm. and so it's just this really cool feature in that you know obviously we'd all like to get back to regular shows Mm -hmm. but it's good to know that there's that alternate um kind of thing you know, it's something that maybe when things hopefully get back to normal, still, still happen. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I haven't had the chance to go to one yet, but I'm very interested in, in trying it out. I've heard just so many advantages to it. The only disadvantage I've heard is not being able to congregate with people, but everybody's super happy about having space and not having to deal with beers being spilled on you. And like, yeah, it's true. So like, say, say you did something like that, where, you know, you, you don't have to socialism, but say we're not in a pandemic, you do something like that. It's more of like a intimate VIP kind of an experience, you know, where you're just like, you have all this space, you're, you're at your car, you bring whatever you want. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, in some capacity, I think the drive-ins will still continue uh, after all this. Have you done a drive-in show as a fan yet? No. No. I'm excited to, to try one out. So how did it feel when you guys played in Chicago? How did it personally feel for you to play in front of an audience again? Uh, it felt great. It felt yeah. like uh, things were like normal for those, you know, whatever few hours that we were playing. Yeah. So, you know. That's but, how we all felt too. <laughs> yeah. It was just... Uh, it's great to look out and see people, you know, dancing and because we had done those streams, we've done the streams of Jake's and those those ones before the shows and, you know, those were good, but, you know, playing in front of people, it's, it makes a big difference. For sure. That's why you chose to do what right. you do is to play in front of an audience. Exactly. So um, I don't I don't know a lot about you and you don't do a lot of interviews. So I would love to know a little bit about your history with music. Um, why did you decide to play drums and how old were you when you started? Well, uh, I started really uh, playing drums uh, probably when I was 16. Um, I mean, there's like a picture of me like really, really young with a drum set, but I don't, I didn't do anything with it. It just banged on it until the drum heads broke and then, you know, tossed it aside. I didn't really get serious about it until I was like 16, but a couple of years before that, I was more into uh, sound engineering. Okay. And, and like recording, studio recording and stuff. And so I was doing that in high school. I was doing like, uh, uh, the, I was the sound engineer for like the school plays and stuff. Okay. And then I eventually bought some like a four track like tape recorder and a few mics. And I would have my friends from high school. I met these guys in high school, uh, Mike Miro. Uh, they would come over and I would just record them. They would just jam out. I would just record so and mike miro was one of those guys and so eventually i just kind of like i want i want to start jamming you know and so mike was playing drums and for me like percussion just i don't know it just sounded really cool i was listening to like beastie boys and they had a lot of percussion in their stuff i was listening to a lot of classic rock like santana and all that stuff that all the percussion um so it just intrigued me, you know, and it was also like a, a way for me to, you know, jam out with all my friends and stuff. So I was just messing around and uh, I eventually started taking drum, actual drum set lessons. 
uh, at that time as well. And because um, I went to this percussion teacher in Chicago, his name's Today. He's a Brazilian guy. And I went to him and I wanted to take percussion lessons from him. And he told me to go and take drum set lessons for two years and then come back to him. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I, I just really wanted to focus in on percussion, you know? And so, but I did that. So I, I took drum set lessons in, uh, in Northwest Indiana for a couple of years uh, by this guy named Lanny. And he, and then so uh, after the two years, I went back to the guy and took a few lessons from him. And then after that, I went to Berkeley College of Music for a, um, two, like a, it's like a two week percussion festival. I didn't go to college there. I think it was like a, it was like a workshop, two week workshop, percussion workshop. And, uh, you know, it's just a really cool, just uh, full dose into the world of percussion, the who's who of players and everything were there, you know, and I'm like learning from them. And I was just like very much a beginner. It was just really an eye opening experience for me. I bet. So after that, I came home and, uh you know right about at that point i'm like 17 years old and then i was still jamming with mike and started jamming with mike's band stopper bob uh, mike and uh joel mm -hmm. and so i was still in high school i would drive to south bend uh to play gigs with stopper bob on like on the weekends and stuff and then uh, eventually Let's see, after that, I graduated, went down to IU in Bloomington. And that was when Mike and Joel quit Stomper Bob and joined with Brennan and Stasek. So I was driving up, so I was down in Bloomington. I'm driving up to South Bend pretty much every weekend, you know, um, which was kind of weird because I was like, I was wanting to go to music school at IU. And I'd finally made it to Bloomington. I love Bloomington. I love going to school there. But I was spending every weekend at South Bend. It was kind of like, you know, yeah. wasn't hanging out with any of my friends in Bloomington or anything. I was just going up to South Bend. But uh, that's when I started playing with all, all the guys and uh, eventually just moved up to South Bend. And, you know, so within, you know, I started playing drums around 16 by 18. Uh, I was already in Humphreys you know, in just a short amount of time, like just trying to learn so much in the world of percussion, you know, so it was kind of like a big time crash course within those three years or so, you know. Wow, that's incredible. That's a really incredible story. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so like a lot of my learning, like how I learned how to play percussion was just from playing shows, really. Like I took like that workshop I did that was, that was like, it was like a week and a half. It's like 10 days, I think. And then, you know, a few lessons from the guy in Chicago, but you know, most of my stuff I learned from listening to other, other music and then just playing and putting things in context during a show. It's like this weird thing I still do today where in this band, you're able to, uh, you have a lot of freedom to express yourself, right? You have like, 
you can try certain things, at least I can, in, in the middle of a show, you know, kind of push your limits of your abilities, you know, where you're almost like you're practicing. You're like, oh, let me try this, you know. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but, you know, a lot of times it does. It, it helps you focus and, 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 and uh, you know, execute things on the fly, you know. Absolutely. I think it's a good testament for life too. Sometimes you have to, yeah. you know, execute and do things on the fly. Mm -hmm. So who would you say are your most influential drummers or percussionists that, you know, influence you? Um, man, there's so many, uh, you know, the, the guy I, I took lessons, I took counter lessons from Giovanni Hidalgo, who is like, people call him the goat of conga playing um guy's a freak of nature you know he's like jake on the congas uh, <laughs> that's so, a great visual for everyone <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so um i took some lessons from him and he was a big influence but obviously I, i'm not on that level you know he just he, he really inspired me and he was a really nice guy and very down to earth but he was just this amazing amazing guy and um musician and uh so i learned a lot from him you know this uh, listening to santana who you know they incorporated percussion into rock music so you know i learned a lot from listening to that um really the biggest thing that influenced me to start playing percussion was actually the beastie boys and all their like instrumental stuff that they did uh had a lot of uh, percussion and it was way up in the mix too you could really hear it clearly and uh, uh, that's a guy named Eric Bobo who uh, plays for Cypress Hill now he's in Cypress Hill he's a percussionist in Cypress Hill so um, it was really that stuff that influenced me into really diving in wanting to play percussion um, but like other guys like fusion guys like Alex Acuna uh, Carl Perrazzo, uh, he's a timbali player. Um, uh, Mark Quinones, uh, he's with the Allman Brothers. Um, now with the Doobie Brothers, because Allman Brothers don't play anymore. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, a lot of guys from like the 60s and 70s and stuff. And, you know, yeah, there's not much. You know, there's not much percussion in the world of rock. You know, you know, if if there is, it's very like simple, simple stuff. You know, there's not much yeah. com complex percussion parts in in rock music. You know, so mm -hmm. uh, you really got to dive deep into some of like the fusion stuff and more of the the traditional Afro-Cuban stuff to kind of get ideas and and things like that. So what kind of music now inspires you? Oh man, uh, I've been listening since this whole uh, lockdown quarantine pandemic. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of like uh, old soul music and uh, Spotify is great in like discovering just stuff that like you think you know all the all of the, you know, soul music of the 60s and 70s. And then all of a sudden there's like, oh, who's this guy? And, mm 
Mm -hmm. I've never heard of this person before. And I got this huge catalog and, you know, just dive into it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been listening to a lot of that. I grew up, my dad was a, uh, uh, still is, he's a, he grew up in uh, Gary, Indiana and uh, started this acapella singing group back in the seventies called Stormy Weather. And uh, then he became a concert promoter and put on shows with acts from the 60s and 70s and 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, doo-wop and oldies music. So I grew up a lot on all like the oldies and, and soul music and Motown and all that. So. Wow. Yeah. That's also, I listen a lot of like uh, hip hop and, you know, modern R&B and uh, jazz and uh classic rock and you know all kinds of stuff so uh was your dad the reason why you were like interested in in music and going into sound engineering and and everything man you know he never like i was always around it but he was never like pushed me into it or like i don't know maybe even thought like shit i hope i hope my son doesn't get it try and get into music you know like I tell people that all the time, I'm like, ah, don't, don't do it. It's, it's not worth it. It's not. <laughs> Chances of doing it, it's, you know. But, you know, I guess you could say that about anything. Yeah, anything that anybody does. But um, he, uh, he didn't really push me into getting into music and sound engineering. I guess I got into that because I was, I went to the studio a lot with him, I guess, when he was recording and it seemed fun to me. But really, it was just meeting, you know, a lot of the guys, my friends in high school that play guitar and bass, and then Mike Marrow, too, just jamming out with them, you know, because mm-hmm. that's really kind of when it started. Uh, because before that, I actually, I was, uh, you know, I mentioned I'm, I'm very much into hip hop. And back then, I was actually at a couple turntables and a bunch of, you know, I still have my uh all my records from like the early to mid 90s all hip-hop records and i used to like try and dj and stuff like that and i ended up selling all that stuff for drums you know so that's when i got into that so is that what you think you would have chosen to do with your life if you weren't a touring musician no actually i was going into i was looking to major in fine arts Okay. That was going to be my major because growing up, I was just really into uh, drawing and, you know, I actually wanted to be a cartoonist. And it was either like getting into cartoonist or animation of some some sort or uh, graphic design. Wow. And, uh, but I never got to the point in college where I had to declare my major because it was right around the time that I was. I moved up to South Bend, so I uh, never uh, went through with that. But that's probably that's probably the path that I was going to. That's very cool. So, what is one thing that you never go on tour without? Oh, hmm. my socks hat. <laughs> Nice answer. <laughs> with me everywhere. 
Nice. How long have you had it? Well, I mean, this hat, I've had this hat for maybe a year or so. I, you know, every year or so I get a new one. Get a new one. Rotate them out. <laughs> How many do you have? Just one. Okay. <laughs> so what, um, what is the greatest piece of advice you've gotten about being a touring musician? Hmm. Wow. Greatest mm. piece of advice. <sighs> Think about this. I guess. Uh... Someone's told me somewhere or another, just don't take it for granted, you know? Don't, yeah. uh, another one was a guy at um, a place at the Aragon in Chicago. One of the production guys told this story, you know, this band who, you know, came up when they were coming up, they played the Aragon, sold out. They were just big time dicks and assholes, you know? and working with that local crew. So years have gone by while well, they went to, you know, arenas and stuff like that. Well, then they fell off and on their way back down, they played the Aragon again and, and had to do a show with the same crew. And the crew remembered that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's very important when you're, you're a touring musician to always treat local crews, everybody who's helping you, don't treat them like they're they're less than you, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody's the same. Everybody's doing everything they their part to make the show happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very important as touring musicians. When you're going to every different town, you're working with different kinds of people. You just treat everybody with respect. You know, it's very simple, really. And mm -hmm. th those kind of things go a long way, regardless of whether you're you're a good musician or the the crew local crew in the in the in the venue like your music or whatever that doesn't matter it's all about how you treat other people you know absolutely and like you said they could not even like your music but they would be willing to open their doors for you because right. you were so kind when you were there right and, and that helps out over the years we've done that and like you know that helps us we return to some of these venues that you know uh that we love playing and you know we're just always welcome back and everything's just and everything just flows much better too you know just the mm -hmm. load-ins and you know over years we build relationships with these people because we see them every year and stuff so it's a good way to be absolutely good business so what are a couple of your favorite venues to play well that's easy <laughs> uh red rocks yeah. Uh, Fox Theater, Oakland, Beacon Theater, uh, Milwaukee, uh, uh, what's that, Riverside Theater. Riverside, yep. Um, uh, the Fillmore, Miami. Um, hmm. Uh, the Anthem in Washington, D.C., one of the better new venues mm -hmm. that we've been to. Uh, hopefully all these places are open when we come back, but... Uh, For sure. 
Let's see. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good venues out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was one of your favorite sit-ins? Uh, like people sitting in with us? Yeah, mean? yeah. Oh, uh, well, most recently, I'd say uh, Jason Bottoms uh, stuff was very cool. Yeah, that was very cool. Um, it's always great to have uh, Redman, Josh Redman, come and do shows with us. That's always very seamless and easy with him. He fits in great with what we do. And uh, let's see what else. What other sit-ins have we had? Many, many sit-ins. Many, <laughs> very <laughs> lots. Yeah. Who would you like to sit in with you guys? If you could pick somebody, who would you choose? Hmm. Man. Well, I'd like, I've been trying to get uh, my, my percussion teacher, the guy Giovanni Hidalgo, who lives in Orlando. So I've been trying to get him to sit in. That would um, be cool. Yeah. Um, man, I was kind of hoping someday we'd get Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, to sit in with us. But, you know, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. There's, I mean, man, you could go down a long list of people of the, the past that wish we wish we could have. Oh, absolutely. Because, like, we say, you know, like, when I think of like we were a band in the 60s or 70s. Man, be be interesting. I just said that exact same thing about you guys the other day. I was like, if Umphreys McGee was a band in the 1970s, I'm like, they would be superstars. Mm -hmm. They would have been touring the world right alongside Genesis and all of those other bands in the 70s. I'm like, if yeah. they were just in a different time, it would be completely different. Yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, fortunately, you know, I, I think we're in this day and age where, you know, there's a lot of the music made on computers and digitally uh, processed stuff. You know, uh, it's important that there's that there's organic bands out there actually playing music because there's just not too many, you know, when you look at popular music, there's not a lot of rock bands. Mm -hmm. And there's some good, there's some good rock music, I guess. Uh, not in the, in the literal sense of rock music. It just kind of gets put in that category, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, there's just, it's not in the forefront like it used to be, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think though that Everything goes in cycles, and I think eventually I'd like to think that it may come back around, like, you know, the whole idea of, of human beings playing uh, live instruments on stage will be like a, a, a big thing. But right now, it's, it's all about, not sure what it's all about, but, uh, you know, we're just trying to keep, keep that stuff alive, you know. Yeah. And you're doing a damn fine job, in my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> so
So can you share a, a favorite or funniest fan encounter? I mean, most of the fan encounters that I remember are, you know, fans doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Like uh, <laughs> there was a guy at Brooklyn, where's Brooklyn Seal? Yeah. Some naked guy like climbing yeah. the wall. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> My buddy took a picture of it and sent it to me. I was like, wow, that happened? I missed, I didn't even see it. I missed it all. I seem to miss all this stuff and I hear about it after the show. I'm like, man, I missed that. I didn't see that. I mean, we've had numerous people like try and jump on stage. And I had a long time ago, I had a, I was, this is when I was uh, still tearing down my stuff, loading up, loading out all my stuff. And, people were leaving and uh, they hadn't uh, gotten everybody completely out of the venue and some drunk guy just, you know, was just hanging out in front of the stage and just threw a bottle at my head and just missed. And I think Robbie, Robbie saw it. It just literally just walked over there and kicked the guy in the face. <laughs> Get the hell out of here. You know, cause he was up on stage. This guy was now lower. So he was just like at his foot and just kicks him. Like, all right. Thanks Robbie. It's got my bet. Wow. I don't understand why people throw stuff at the band that you paid money to come and see. It blows my mind. Yeah. I just, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. So what's something that you've been working on during quarantine? Uh... Well, I've just been trying to practice a lot. I got, you know, fortunately I have a, a room where I got all my drums and uh, I have my, I finally have, uh, I've gotten to a point where I got all my, my basically my exact setup that I have on the road at home. Um, so I've been working on a lot of stuff like that and been playing a lot of drum set, actually just learning. I'll just go on Spotify and just, fumble around and find songs to just learn, you know, just learn songs and um, making beats, making like little eight bar beats. Um, just like, you know, just kind of keeping my brain working in music because, you know, we have these, you know, just big launch stretches now, just not uh, playing music. So I just, I, every day I just have to have some cognitive uh, brain activity of music you know yeah you got to keep those muscles sharp you know and and working the same way yeah so i you know i think it's i think i'm starting to get better at like being more comfortable with drum set so that's good that is very good that's awesome you know i got i got probably like i don't know 100 or so like beats you know just piling up that's awesome. And Umphreys is working on new music, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. We're, you know, we're working on, we've been, every time we get together, we've been trying to record stuff. And so we've been working on new stuff and that's coming along. And so hopefully, you know, we're getting to the point that we're hopefully we'll have a whole project worth of uh, material. 
in a few months. So nice. Exactly. When we'll need it after the long winter. (laughs) So a lot of musicians are doing online lessons and stuff. Is that something that you think you would consider doing? Um, not particularly, no, I, I, uh, just not really into the teaching. I don't think I'm a very good teacher. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, if there's some crazy, uh, uh, people really wanted to, to, you know, take lessons and stuff. I, I'm sure I would, I can do that, but you know, uh, percussion lessons, you know, probably, I'm probably wouldn't get too many of them as much as like, you know, Jake would and guitars, you know, just, there's just more people playing guitar. Yeah. Get that, so, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the future of live music? Well, you know, I, most of the time I have a positive outlook. I think that uh, if once we get through all this, um, you know, one thing I think is for sure is that it's going to come back. People are gonna, not going to be, we'll get past this tentative uh, mass gathering kind of thing where people aren't sure you know that's the whole thing about this it's like people just aren't sure mm-hmm. you, know, so you just hear it 100 times a day uncertain times you know so just, i'm so sick of hearing that uh, yeah, right <laughs> so you know you know we'll figure this out and music you know music's like one of those things where you know humans need music right yeah so i think that it's just going to come back stronger and we'll have more things in place. Things are safer. Uh, uh, things are more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think just us as humans will just, you know, we'll take this as an opportunity to make, figure things out, make things better. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's been, you know, to be honest, it's been a struggle getting through it, but uh just looking forward to that day whenever that is where you know we're just back on a tour bus you know i'm thinking like man what's the next time i'm gonna be on a bus you know yeah so i look forward to those days when we're just back together and, and touring really yeah. yeah yeah we all we all feel the same way too it's a mutual feeling <laughs> so i know sometimes people talk about how you don't smile when there's pictures taken of you, which I think is completely untrue. I see you smiling all the time in pictures. So what is something that uh, makes you laugh? Uh, all kinds of things. <laughs> I mean, I love watching uh, comedy and uh, a lot of YouTube vids. <laughs> Make me laugh. Ryan Stasek makes me laugh. Yeah. He keeps me laughing on the road. Chris Myers, too. He's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. I'm sure between the two of them, it's I'd be laughing all the time. Have you done a podcast with Chris? Not yet. I've I've asked him a couple times. He just hasn't uh given me an actual date that we're gonna do it yet. 
So. Well, when you do it, have them uh, have them uh, do some um, impressions for you. I definitely will. <laughs> that would be very cool. I love that. I'm gonna get. I will get him on. It's gonna happen. He's just being difficult about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I have one final question for you. Yeah. So Conduit E Magazine is doing the Farag curls versus Stasics stash presidential campaign. So if your curls win, what will be at the top of the agenda when you get into office? Top of my agenda? Yes. (laughs) Top of my agenda is going to be, we're going to take all the major sports, right? Take all the major sports and for each overly paid athlete that gets paid over a certain amount of money, there's like this tax. All this money that's being made goes to uh, frontline first responders, uh, firefighters, you know, all those people. Nurse, well, nurses make good money, but uh, you know, people are just extremely teachers, extremely underpaid. Absolutely. You know, people, athletes are just, as much as I love sports, and don't get me wrong, I watch a lot of sports, I just feel like they're overpaid. So that would be first on my agenda. I love it. That is, I feel the same way. We need to be pouring funds into the people that, you know, and the world is crumbling. We need those people, you know? I love that. That's a, that's great. That's a good, uh, a good agenda to have, and I feel like that's going to help push some now, voters to your hearing, side. Uh, Ryan Stasek's response. I'm going to have to reach out to him today now and and get him on here to do one. He'll definitely give me something. Very well. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> All right. Well, that's everything I have. Thank you so much for your time. This was really, really wonderful talking to you. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a really awesome day. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. So that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Andy for your time. It was such a pleasure getting to know you better. There are a ton of links in the show notes for anything referenced throughout this episode, including where you can check out past shows, book your own conversation and be a guest, where you can find the brand new Dropped Among This Crowd Etsy store, subscribe to Conduit E Magazine, and a ton more. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you again for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.